Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Anyone actually warm? Because my hands are not. Actually warm. Yeah. My hands have been waiting for the day that they're warm. I tell, I don't know. I mean, I've never, I don't know. Never been diagnosed, but my hands are always cold. And my feet. So I don't know if that's something, you know. I guess so. Well, the Awana Penny Challenge is still going on. They're trying to uh, raise support for Awana clubs in South America. The goal for this year is $1,000, and we're continuing to collect through March. So if you want to get connected, if you want to help out, you can reach out to any Awana student. If you are a Awana student in here right now, raise your hands. We got a lot over in this corner and some up here. And so if you want to help out, reach out to them and they'll let you know how. The Capital Area Pregnancy Center is holding their annual banquet on Thursday, March 7th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Penn Harris Hotel. So for more information or to RSVP for the event, uh, you can get connected on their website there. The Ladies Spring Lunch is Saturday, April 27th, but they're already in need of hostesses for the tables. So if you think that you could put together a nice table, or even if you've never done it before, but you're interested, please reach out to Christy Knorr. Her email is up here on the screen. And last announcement, but not the least, you don't want to miss out on this coming Saturday. The Youth Spaghetti Dinner we'll be hosting here. We'll be in the multi-purpose room from 4 to 7, serving up all sorts of spaghetti, all sorts of sauce with the spaghetti noodles, uh, tons of desserts. I've heard those are the parts that really get people in the doors, right? It's those desserts. Uh, But it's a great time to fellowship with one another as well as uh, it's an opportunity for the students to raise funds for the student accounts that they can use for Uh, various activities that we do, retreats, uh, mission opportunities, and other things that they can use their student accounts for here with our youth at Community. At this time, I just want to invite everyone to stand with me as we open and prepare to worship God. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. We set aside our our cares and our worries at the door, and will we focus purely on you this morning? Will we be challenged by your words? God, as we sing in song, would it be praise and glorifying to you, but would our glorifying praise to you not end this morning just while we're here, but will we carry it all throughout the week? God, as we think about the many different things, the snowstorms and all that coming, we think of those that are helping clear off the roads. And God, we also think and and lift up to you the first responders right now too for all that they do. And we just pray safety and protection over them as there's so many ways that they help us out regularly. God, as we go forth, would we be your example? Would we be your light to everyone around us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is such a joy to worship with you. Um, Sing with us today.
of Abraham. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, a faithful promise. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say.
these earphones don't like to stay in. So I whip them out halfway through and realize I need them. <laughs> so, sorry about that. this morning.
God, we just come before you this morning, just thankful for who you are. God, we just pray that you would just continue to lead God and direct our lives. Whatever paths we're faced, whatever we come to, God, that we can bring those things before you and just allow you to show us the way, to make that way for us, God. We just pray as we continue in this time of worship by opening your word and just seeing what you have to say to us this morning, God. Just give us open hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Work through Glenn. God, we just uh, pray as we go out from this place today that we would just be examples for you and just allow you to lead God and direct in everything that we do and say. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Boys and girls, uh, you can be dismissed to Kidsmen. Have a great time back there. Really blessed uh, here at Community with so many people that step up to serve the Lord in a variety of capacities. And uh, we're seeing that continue, and I'm just excited to share that with you. Uh, one of the areas that uh, I want to mention to you this morning and encourage your, your possible involvement is a new ministry. It's being called Friendship, all right, like on a boat, right? Friendship, all right. But anyway, uh, Sue, let me get her name right, Bolu. Did I get that right, Sue? Bolu. All right, got it right. All right, Sue. Sue and John, uh, relatively new to us, have been here a while. But uh, she has a real heart for reaching out to people of the church who need encouragement, okay? And so uh, this is a ministry uh, where we're asking people to uh, join in the group that's doing this to uh, show love and care for friends of our congregation who would benefit from a monthly visit or phone call, okay? So uh, if you are interested in participating in the friendship ministry, okay, Talk to Sue. Sue's right. Raise your hand, Sue. She's right there. Okay. Uh, she has a, a red on top here. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> she, that's nice to have something. Her husband is like me. He doesn't have anything. Okay. All right. But anyhow, but uh, check out Sue. She's got some paperwork that she can give to you, talk to you about how to be involved. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Okay. Great. Hey, it's good to be back with you. Uh, you didn't know we were gone, but we actually were in Florida all week. And you say, oh, poor thing, Pastor. You had to miss two snowstorms. Yeah, we sure did. And we are thankful. We actually got back and our car didn't have any snow on it in the parking lot. Man, alive. That was great. It all melted off. But no, we had a great time. Got back last night. Uh, we weren't in real warm Florida. We were in uh, the Panhandle area, but it was still sunny and nice. And I know you say that's still nice. We would like to be there too, but we weren't. But we had a great relaxing time. Good to be back. And uh, just appreciated these songs, you know. Um, God is faithful. <laughs> we can trust him. And I was just thinking about as we sang those, how true those are in our lives. Um, how he meets us at times when we don't know how we're going to get through. And uh, also we rejoice in those times where we're just kind of, I don't know, not in those midst of the, the struggle sometimes. But we never want to miss praising him. Sometimes we see, tend to maybe not praise quite as much when we're, uh, we're doing okay. We need to remember we're, he's always worthy. We always need to be focused on him. Well, we're heading into this portion of Second uh, Peter that really is motivating what he's already written, okay, and will guide in the closing. So it's the midsection of the letter, but it really is why he wrote it. It's really one of the major issues 
that, that the people needed to be instructed about, encouraged how to deal with, and what to watch out for. And that's the danger of false teachers. And, um, you know, uh, Brian and I were talking this morning. Uh, he's, you know, doing some uh, lessons on 9 o'clock here on really uh, basic beliefs, okay? Uh, the church's community churches, basic beliefs, but, but the, the church in general, <laughs> you know, what we truly believe, and he was talking this morning about, uh, and he will be next week too, about the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, uh, the significance of Christ, and, and all of that teaching. And, and, and throughout history, certainly there has been all kind of challenges when it comes to what is really what God has said and who he is. Um, that was the struggle there as Peter writes to this group of people, probably in Asia. And um, Peter is uh, talking to the people about, um, if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that we can trust the, the word of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, and the uh, prophecy of Scripture. And Peter makes that very clear at the end of chapter 1. And it's a great passage of, of just giving us confidence in what God has said to us in his word and, and that we can find what is true and, and test what is true by his word. And, and, and he kind of continues that thought here as we get into the first part of chapter 2 as he mentions initially that there's always been false teachers too. As he encouraged us to realize that the true prophecies of the Old Testament can be trusted, he also begins this section by saying, well, there were false prophets, prophets in Israel too. Now, now you, if you know much about what the Bible says about prophets in the Old Testament, one of the things it does say, if a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come true, you know what the result is to be? They're to be stoned. They're to be killed. Now, I, I don't remember that happening. Do you remember any passages where it says that happened? I don't, but it says that's what should have happened, okay? All right, all right. And, and it's a very severe, sincere thing that, that God says, hey, if somebody's speaking on my behalf, it better be true because I take it seriously. And that's what we'll find in what Peter is saying in this writing in chapter 2. So let's get on into it. And... Um, Let's read uh, just the first three verses of chapter 2. I'm going to take a section at a time as we go through this portion, verses 1 through 11. But we're just going to look at verses 1 through 3, and uh, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed." We'll read more of that as we get into this section, but there are false teachers. There were false teachers. There will be false teachers. That's the word that we have here. Jesus said it would happen. 
In Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, Jesus said, And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. It's happening today. It happened then. It has happened throughout history. I just was reading a book uh, on the early uh, 800 years of the, the church and uh, all of the struggles that were going on. Uh, matter of fact, it's amazing that we're still here. <laughs> I mean, when you realize all of the challenges that have taken place throughout history and, and uh, the many times where there were councils to discuss, okay, what really is true and what really is false? Okay, and so that's part of what we're to gain even as we read this portion of Scripture. As Peter gives us things to look for, people, uh, things to be aware of, uh, characteristics of false teachers, not just their teaching, but characteristics in them. You know, character does matter. You know, a person, who they are is almost and probably more important at times than what they say. I mean, certainly what they say is important for us to understand. Is it true? But their character is important too. And we live in a time, and it's not only now, but it's been throughout history, but we certainly see it where it's like, okay, well, we can live in kind of a dichotomy. I mean, we can, we can compartmentalize our lives, right? We can, we, we can be this kind of person, but, but say this kind of thing, and it's okay. What? No, 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 no. Huh. As we look at people that are supposedly leading us, the way they are, who they are as a person is very important. Because that's dictating that what they're saying is true. <laughs> you know, if I'm telling you you should live this way and I don't live that way, eh, that's something wrong with that. It's certainly hypocrisy at the, at the most minor part. But it's certainly against what God intends. And so that's what Peter goes right into here as he talks about who these false teachers are. You notice what he says, right? They will be... They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. Huh. As I said there on the screen, they, they, they will make heresy sound good, okay? Um, just because somebody is a good communicator, right? Just because they might have a good following and tickle the ears, as one other passage of Scripture says, of people, does not mean it's true. You know that, right? Okay. Um, some people just kind of live out their giftedness, but they're really not true to what they're saying. That's a dangerous thing, okay? It needs to be checked out. Is what they're saying true in light of what God's Word says? Now, by the way, there, there's a balance in some of this. I just was reading something this week on a critique of something that I thought it was a little harsh, okay? I felt like the, the person who was trying to come from a biblical perspective was kind of, what I would say, way over here, <laughs> okay? All right, and, and I felt like what Jesus had said when John and his brother James said, hey, well, they're not really doing exactly what we do. Let's go blow them up, basically, is what they said, the sons of thunder, all right? And Jesus said, hey, no, those who aren't against us are for us. And even the Apostle Paul, who was so strong about doctrine and the importance of teaching the right thing, rightfully so, writes many letters about it. We need to read those things and be aware of them. But when people, when he was aware of some who were preaching the gospel for wrong reasons, 
He even said he was thankful that the gospel was being preached. So we need to be a little bit careful that we don't start criticizing situations that might not be heresy. Okay. On the other hand, there certainly are false teachers who are utilizing their platform for their own benefits, and they're very good at trying to convince you of something that's false. And that's the warning that's here. So don't go crazy, but allow the Spirit of God to give you discernment, and particularly the Word of God. All right. And always remember, and this is what Peter's going to get to today, always remember that God's in charge. Even though it looks like somebody might be getting away with something, <laughs> it's not really true. And that's what Peter's going to really point out to us today. Right? There is judgment. And it's not just at the end. There's judgment right now. It does happen. People who look like they're getting away with something, you don't know all that's going on in their lives. You don't know what's really going on on the inside. You don't know how God is really already working. You don't know the judgment that's already taking place. And Peter's saying, hey, stay true to what's true. And the second thing he says, of course, is, and it all comes down to Jesus, right? We've been talking about that. We'll continue to talk about that. Because if, if there's a denial of the truth of who Jesus is, that's a litmus test. If you check out cult groups, Okay, and I'll just throw out two, which are kind of the, probably the biggest, but Jehovah Witness and Mormons, all right? They all look good. They look like they're maybe studying the Bible. They're all Christians too? No, if you dig into it, they're not teaching that Jesus is really who he is, all right? There's a denial in some portions there of, of his divinity. There's a denial of his humanity. There's a denial in many cases of him being the, the total sacrifice, that, you know, that we really need to kind of do our own thing. And yeah, he's kind of out there and we kind of faith in him too. No, Jesus is a key to knowing what's true and how we believe in who he is. And so Peter says this, they even deny the master who bought them. <laughs> I like the way that's phrased, right? Jesus, his sacrifice is complete for all who will believe in him. And even those who are teaching heresy, especially those who are teaching heresy, need Christ, right? And if they come to Christ, if they stop denying the one who bought them, and they come to know that he bought them, they're going to teach the right thing. But, but they're not. They're denying it. They're, they're not teaching the truth of Christ. A good test. Yeah. Their denial, though, was not only in their words, but also in the immoral lifestyle that denied Christ. Their example, as it says here, is one that brings slander on the church. In this way, it says they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Notice that phrase, shameful immorality. A very strong phrase. It's one that uh, really means that they're living in a depth of immorality that people would be appalled at to claim to be a follower of Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a following of the human passion to a level 
that is disgusting and even those who are not people of faith would say is wrong. You think that happens? You think there are those who even stand up in pulpits on Sunday (laughs) or are on television whose lives don't match up to what they say? It does happen. Now, again, we need to have some balance here. There are certainly those who are true to the gospel who have yielded to temptation and fallen. All right? And we need to have compassion and care to try to help those who have gone astray to come back to where they need to be, right? And so that needs to be a perspective in this whole thing. But there are those who are blatant and those who are determined that it doesn't matter how they live and they're going to do it. And they're just going to say, well, I'm a spiritual person and I'm teaching this spiritual thing, but it doesn't matter how I live. And a matter of fact, that's a big deal here that we'll get to basically in the coming sections. We talked about it, the Gnosticism, the idea that the mind and the body are separate, that it's all about knowledge and the spiritual knowledge, and we just kind of live in this level in the spiritual, but it doesn't matter how we live in the physical. And so we can kind of do whatever we want. That, that was a big deal. All right. It's still a big deal. I think about some of the cult groups that I've been aware of in my lifetime, all right? I think of things that happened in Waco, Texas, things that happened down in uh, South America, okay? And, And all of those cults included immoral sexual involvement, all right? And, and the leaders were really good at making immoral sexual involvement a part of what they said was the way to really live for God. And the, the leaders would say, oh, well, we have rights to all of the women. I mean, all kind of crazy stuff. Peter's saying it's happening then. still happens today. Be careful. Be careful. And, and you know, there's... Many of the people that get involved in that, I say, how in the world does that happen? I, well, they were kind of sucked in by sharp, clear openness of relationship and warmly cared for, and, and uh, many of them grew up in churches, but yet weren't satisfied what was happening there, and be careful, careful, yeah. But what else he says here? in this first section that we're looking at, it says that they also are involved in really about trying to get money out of what they do. A true minister is not about using their position to get rich and surely not taking advantage of faithful people to take their money. Now, I, hey, I've lived my life in ministry. <laughs> It's important that I get paid. We have to live, all right? Um, people that are doing ministry uh, need to be cared for. The Bible has talked about that. But if that's the goal of the person, to get rich, <laughs> if it's the goal of the person to take advantage of the people that he has under his care, to use for himself so that I could, you know, Go to Florida during the week. No. 
Let's be real, okay? Let's be real. No, I mean, so that I could live extravagantly for my own benefit, and that's what I'm really about, or whoever's teaching for that matter. That's not of the Lord, right? Now, I do believe God blesses us, and he certainly has. I don't, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, but I do believe that God still blesses those that are faithful to him, and he has taken care of us, and man, that's one of the things I celebrate, and it's a great thing. But there's a lot of people that are poor, and God's still loving on them and caring for them, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's not about riches, right? It's about trusting God for his care and being faithful to what he gives to us. And if you see somebody that's all about taking your money, be careful. I, I, <laughs> I remember a friend of mine when somebody was on TV and they were talking about, well, you know, if you, if you, God promises to, to, uh, to bless those that give, and they had this idea of, you know, a hundredfold. You've heard that passage, right? Okay. And so if you give to our ministry $10, God's going to bless you a hundredfold. Okay. My friend said, if they really believe that, why don't they send me the $10? Get it? <laughs> That's a crazy one. All right. All right, well, it, God, the, Peter says here that even though it looks like these people are doing good, they're not going to get away with it. It says that uh, God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. And back in actually verse 1 even, he says, in this way they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. God's in charge. They are condemned by God if they're not following him. And they will bring destruction on themselves. And then Peter's going to go in now to give us some illustrations of how that's already happened in time. So let's take a look at verses 4 to 8. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. The warning is to be aware of God's judgment. Even though it may look like the wicked prosper, they will be punished for their evil deeds. And Peter gives us three examples of how God judged evil in the past. First he says, interesting passage here, one that's very uh, controversial in some ways, but it says first that even angels were not spared when they sinned. These celestial creatures of the world we cannot see have also been under God's judgment when they sinned. We know that of course, Satan is under God's judgment. <laughs> he, he fell. He was one of the most high angels and had fallen. Um, I don't really think that was, that was definitely intended when Peter wrote this. Most commentators would say that the Jewish 
traditions would have been in the minds of those he was writing to, and the Jewish traditions would have pointed the people back to an earlier passage in Genesis, actually Genesis chapter 6, which is also very controversial. Brian taught about that when he was going through uh, the supernatural uh, factors of the Bible and back to this section. And in Genesis 6, 1 to 4, we read, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. So there was judgment for what happened there, but the situation is one that it it seems like, (laughs) okay, and I say it seems like because it really is not come. There's no commentary much about this. This is kind of a unique situation. It's there, but it, it seems like supernatural creatures had sex with human women, and that created more debauchery, I'll use that term, in the fallen world that already was there, which eventually led to the flood, God destroying all of mankind. That's what people would have thought about as Peter talks about angels being, um, being punished. Yeah, matter of fact, that passage goes on to say, in Genesis, in those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. <laughs> Looked like it was working for a while. Looked like great people, great dynamic heroes were taken over in the earth, but it wasn't of God. It was against him, and God judged him. And Peter says here that any angels, any celestial beings that went against what God would have for them were judged, and he says they were thrown into hell, some passages say, right? some translations, and, and uh, the word, though, is not really hell in the sense we think of the final judgment, okay, burning in hell for eternity. Actually, the word is a Greek word that means a pit, a, a prison, okay? And a matter of fact, the context makes that clear, doesn't it? It says that they're going to be held there for final judgment. So it's not like the final judgment. That, that these beings are, are being limited. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I was reading this week about this that I thought was really encouraging, you know, we might not understand all this, but we do understand that God is protecting and taking care of things. He's in charge, okay? And, and, and even though we don't know about all these celestial beings and all of the evil ones and the demons, I mean, we know that they exist, but we don't see them. But the fact is that God is in charge. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that if you're trusting him. If you're following him, he's taking care of things for eternity. And we can trust him in that. Even though we might not understand, and it's not wrong to try to understand, I'm not saying that. But in trying to figure this out, we're coming to the point where we're saying, well, we don't have really clarity on this. But we do know from what Peter says that God is already limiting the work of evil angels. Aren't you glad? He limits the work of Satan. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Right? He thinks he's doing stuff that's, a, that's on his own, but it isn't. 
He's still a created being. God is limiting him. God is limiting the demons. God's even kept some of them away from doing more, putting them in a pit where they can't get out. That's what we have here in this situation as we're reading this today. Okay. And then we say, see that following that, Peter here talks about God not sparing the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. And we know the story of the flood. Um, the people had gotten so evil that basically God called Noah to build an ark. You know it took over 100 years to build that ark. Sometimes we lose sight of that. I mean, it was, he got the word, but it took a long time. And uh, it says here that Noah was kind of making known the righteousness of God to the people as he was doing that. Some translations even say he preached to the people. Okay, We don't really have record of that in the Old Testament, but we do have the fact that he lived a life of righteousness before everybody. And anybody could have got on that ark if they had trusted God. As a matter of fact, if you read the passages, it wasn't Noah that shut the door of the ark. God shut the door of the ark. God said, okay, nobody's coming. These are the only ones we're rescuing. All right. And, of course, we know from Noah's later life and some things that were going on, he certainly wasn't a perfect person. And we know from the writing of the Old Testament that righteousness is not about performance. Righteousness is about faith. Righteousness is trusting God. And even those who trust God, like us, we fall and fail many times. But our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is in God's forgiveness and his love and what he's done for us at the cross. That should continue to make differences in the way we live, right? Does it make a, has it made you perfect yet? No, but it should be continuing to. And that's what Peter's saying. There is a difference between those who deliberately do not follow the Lord, and you'll find that in the next illustration with Lot, and those who are the righteous, those who are trusting God. All right, so we do have Noah and his family rescued by God, but there was judgment on the earth. So the real point here is judgment. But then it moves to the next point of the deliverance of God of Lot in the midst of all that was going on there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I find the Lot's story a little bit interesting in light of what Peter's talking about in the fact that Lot actually chose to go live in the sinful place. And by the way, I do think Lot knew that it was not a great, great place as far as the people were concerned. I think he chose to live there because it looked so good. <laughs> All right, It was a beautiful part of the land. I mean, it, as they stood there with Abraham, and Abraham says, choose whichever one you want because their flocks had grown so big and the people, their, their people had grown so big, they couldn't all stay in one area. There wasn't enough to nourish the flocks. So they divided the land, and Abraham take whichever one, and Lot chose the one that looked better. Yeah, that's what happened. Right? Check it out. Read it. Okay, get back into Genesis and check that out. But, but the fact of the matter is, he chose to go there. But we read in this text a little more commentary from Peter that even though it was such a shameful place, Lot really did not join in the shameful immorality. He lived among it. I mean, he was right there, and it was awful. He, <laughs> I imagine he wished he hadn't chosen that place. And certainly affected his family. 
But it says here he was sick of the shameful immorality. Remember the story that when the angels came to tell Lot to leave before God's judgment? The men of the city banged on the house and said, send those out. We want to have sex with them. Every time I read that, it's like, really? Wow. Yeah. Sexual relations outside of God's guidelines were rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you say, well, what are God's guidelines? Well, <laughs> read the Bible. God's guidelines for sex is to be between a man and a woman who are committed in marriage. Do you hear that? Not a popular word these days, but it's the truth of God's word. Sex is to be between a man and a woman who are committed in marriage. Anything outside of that is outside of God's will. You hear me? Okay. All right. People fail. I know that. There is forgiveness, but that is God's guideline. And if you want to know God's blessing and not his judgment... I encourage you to make adjustments. If you need help in thinking that through, me and the elders are glad to talk to you. But sometimes you need some help to think how we get from where we are to where we need to be. And I get that. And I try to help people all the time. I don't say those things with any hatred. I say it with care. Because this is the best way. And we have the evidence in even back in the Old Testament here, that God's judgment comes when that is not being followed. In Sodom and Gomorrah, as well in the world today, there was shameful immorality. And I think we need to be struck, too, by what we read here about Lot. Because I do find it easy sometimes to maybe not be as upset about immorality as I should when I see things around me. It is convicting to read this. But Lot, it says Lot was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard every day. But God rescued him. And really, that's the point that Peter is making so strong here. That even in the midst of a sinful society, even in the midst of where there's false teaching, even in the midst of the mess that's all around us and seems to permeate everywhere and it looks like we have no influence at all, God rescues godly people from their trials. That's a key phrase in the midst of this warning. So let's read that final passage, verses 9 to 11. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. 
But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. Basically here, not only is Peter encouraging the believers, but he's returning to focus on the false teachers. And he describes here what they do. He's talked about them at the beginning, now he talks about them again. And it says they follow their twisted sexual desire. The literal translation of this phrase is going after flesh in a passionate longing for defilement. It was all intentional. They were determined. These are teachers in the church. And in light of Peter's speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were likely involved in shameful immorality in sex outside of God's guidelines. Again, one man, one woman committed to marriage. If you read Romans 1, Paul speaks of God's anger against wickedness and that he gives people up to their desires and they suffer the consequences of their sin. Peter here says that while God is rescuing godly people in their trials, he's also keeping the wicked under judgment or under punishment, excuse me, until the final day of judgment. Peter is warning the readers, but also the false teachers, that there is and there will be judgment for their sexual immorality, but also for their despising authority. You notice that's the second thing that he mentions here. They despise authority. They are self-willed and rebellious. They, they even defy spiritual beings and submit to no authority. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's basically what he's saying about these false teachers, that they, they, they have themselves lifted up to a, a level where they're their own authority, okay? And, and the way I do it is the way it's done, and, and everybody should follow me, and, and I'm number one. Dangerous. It's dangerous, friends, to live a life without accountability. I've been blessed to be challenged in this area many years ago in ministry. You need to be accountable. And not just you say, well, I have some people in the church that are in leadership and I work with them. No, this is about getting together with others and talking life straight. Okay? Um, throughout my life, I've had the privilege of having at least one person uh, that I talk, meet with regularly, that we ask each other tough questions, all right? Um, things like, have you been appropriate in your relationships with people that aren't, you're not married to, <laughs> okay? All right. Have you looked at anything you shouldn't look at, all right? Um, have you had thoughts you shouldn't have? Are, are, you, are you honest and true in your financial dealings? Are you spending enough time with your family and caring for them? Are you having your devotions daily? All right. When you know somebody's going to ask you those questions, at least monthly, it does help to stay on the right track. We do need each other. Okay. So I'd encourage you, as a believer, to, not, to keep ourselves on the right track. One of the things is to have an accountability partner, have somebody that you can meet and pray with that really helps you along. And you help each other. It's not just a one-way street. That's not really a part of what Peter is saying here, but I think it's a real response that we can have 
in light of the fact that he's saying that these people who are false teachers despise authority. They don't really want to be under anybody's accountability. But he also says that they're proud and arrogant and that they scoff at supernatural beings. Now, that's, again, this is sort of a cloudy passage. We, we don't really know. It's in the supernatural. We can't really say exactly what he's saying is happening. But the, it comes in light of the context of them being arrogant and proud. It, it comes in the light of them saying they're not under any authority. They're even speaking against powers that are beyond them. They see themselves as even greater than the supernatural. They're, they're not really afraid, which they should be. God and his power. They even bring blasphemy, it says, against supernatural beings. But what is the warning here? The warning to them, the warning to all, is that we must be determined to be true to the Lord because if we are not, there is judgment now and there is judgment to become. The way we live, dear friends, is to be a testimony of true faith. And we must be careful to not be led astray by false teaching. We must be people who know and understand and apply God's word and not be open to ideas that are not in line with the Bible. We need to be people of integrity, of moral excellence. Remember that was one of the things we read earlier in in 2 Peter here? It was one of the supplements, remember the supplements to add to our faith? The first one was moral excellence, living a life that shows that Jesus is at work in us and not to be a slanderous thing. He talks about this in this passage, that the people around are slandering the believers and the church because of the way these false teachers are living. It happens. You probably have talked to people that you know who say, well, I don't really want to have anything to do with the church or with Christians because I've heard these people and I've seen these people and they're doing all this stuff. Hey, it's true. That's usually what I say. Well, I'm not really into that either. I mean, <laughs> that's not really the truth of, of faith in Christ. Yeah, we got to be careful. We have to be alert to the fact that a life of immorality without regard to God's holiness does result in judgment. But in the midst of that, be encouraged. For we have the promise that God will rescue us from the trials of this life if we are his through faith in Christ. Peter talked about trials in his first letter. There's a wrong, real strong section in there. Matter of fact, if you look in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, we read, There is wonderful joy ahead. <laughs> Great way to start this passage that he's writing because he gets to the tough part. But he says, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You know, I wonder if some of these false teachers, which we even say today, see today in the prosperity gospel, is that, you know, if you follow us, everything's good. If you give me money, you're going to do well, right? If you're in our camp, you're not going to have trouble. 
The Word of God says the opposite of that. Peter just said so in 1 Peter. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials, but the trials are there to make your faith like gold, precious. You will grow through them. Anybody ever done that, grown through difficulties? Do you like the difficulties? I hope you say no because that would be neurotic. All right. No, we don't like the difficulties. That's what makes them difficulties. That's what make, it wouldn't be a trial if it was fun, right? <laughs> I don't want to go back to some of those trials. You probably don't either. But I am thankful for what God has done in my life through them. And that same God that brings us through trials is the one that Peter says will continue to do so. <laughs> this God that we trust, this one who has brought us Jesus, this one who has brought us salvation and forgiveness of sins, is the one who will continue to rescue us from the trials of this life. That doesn't mean you won't go through them, because you will. But it means you will get through them because of him. Hallelujah. All right. Those who are not following the Lord will face judgment now and in the future. You might say, well, how do they face judgment? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we don't always know what's going on inside of people and in their lives. God is still at work, and many times his judgment is coming upon people in this life to cause them to repent. Isn't that what he's all about? He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so the judgment of God is does one of two things on people's lives. It either makes them more bitter and hard against him, or it breaks them until they come to a place where they really know him. And I imagine most of you here have been broken, <laughs> and hallelujah for that. And maybe God's working on you right now, if you're here and hearing this, that you need to give up your arrogant pride and proudness kneel before the Lord and admit how much you need him and how far you are from him. And you know what? When Jesus comes to save us, it sets us free from the ultimate eternal judgment of a holy God because he's satisfied with the payment of Christ's blood on the cross for you. Wow. But not only has he done that for your eternity, he is with you right now. And he will rescue us from any trials that come our way because we belong to him. So how are we to respond to this wicked world around us? Well, I think it's sort of like we read about Lot. We need to be upset about it. But I think we also need to be like Abraham, kind of praying that God would rescue the few that are there. And like Peter, as he writes in the end of this letter we're re right reading, aware that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that God somehow would help us to be that light to others that would really bring maybe some pressure upon them. Not that we're trying. It's not up to us, by the way. It is not up to us to be the ones that judge. God says, vengeance is mine. He'll repay. Our call is to be those representatives of Jesus that probably could and will bring conviction upon those who need him. Living a life before others, like Noah, right? A hundred years of building an ark when nobody pays any attention. 
You ever feel like some of your neighbors aren't paying any attention to what's true? You're not alone. But don't give up. Don't give up. God will use those who are godly. And as he rescues us through the trials that we're in, those are not only times where we rejoice and see him at work, but there are times where others see that God is with you. And he will use that. Dear friends, stay true to the Lord. <laughs> and he will rescue you. And hopefully rescue others through you. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we live in a lost world to really be people of integrity. Help us, Lord, when others might try to teach us ways that are not true, to be very aware. Thank you for your spirit that dwells within us and that you do testify in our hearts, Lord, what is true and what is not. And may we truly listen. I pray for those who are under the influence of false teaching, that think they have something right that is so wrong. And I pray that they would be delivered. I pray, Lord, that you would help us who are true believers in Christ to live out our lives in such a way that we might be your ambassadors and others would see the truth of Jesus and come to him. Help us, Lord. And thank you that you've promised that you will. In Jesus' name. Please stand with us.
teachers will come and go. The trials of life will come and go. The judgment of God will come and go if Jesus is your Lord. Amen? I want to share with you three or four verses here from Romans chapter 5. Encourage you as you leave today. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. No judgment. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Go forth in confidence in Christ. He is with you if you've received him. If you haven't, I'd like to talk to you. You need him in your life. Yeah. And before you go, I have two announcements, okay? You know, I always have an announcement somewhere. Okay. I've been involved in um, the C.S. Lewis Institute for several years now. It's a discipleship of heart and mind. And uh, it goes for a year, uh, starts actually in July of each year. This is our recruitment time, okay? And, and I'd just like to encourage you, if you have any interest, we have some flyers out on the table, but on the first Saturday of each month, they actually meet right here, okay? And, and on Mar March 4th is the next meeting, and I'd invite you to come with me if you'd like to check it out. Be here at 8.30. It goes till noon. You don't have to stay till noon. The speaker, the main speaker goes till about 10.30. And then you could head out if you'd like to. If you get here at 8.30, you'll get some breakfast too. How about that? All right. But March 4th, and if you'd like to check it out, come. You'd be my friend. All right. Secondly, uh, there, you saw on the screen and heard it announced that uh, they are sponsoring a special speaker on March the 14th, which also will be held here. It's $5 for each one to come. That's to make sure you'll come. If we get your money, we'll know you'll be here. Okay. 
But uh, <laughs> Phil Thorne, who was the pastor for many years at West Shore Evangelical Free Church, will be speaking that night about politics for Jesus followers. So uh, very appropriate as we're into a presidential election year. But I'd encourage you to be here for that as, as well. Hey, have a great day, great week. God bless you. We'll see you.